Thank you, worship team. Thank you for reminding us that the darkness has been overcome by the light of Christ. We get to proclaim that. I'm thankful this morning that we know that injustice and sin and pain will not always be. But that Christ has overcome. And he will ultimately defeat them one day as well. Brothers and sisters, I want to, as, as we begin this morning, I just want to, I want to thank you first and foremost for your prayers for me and my family. Uh, many of you know that I had COVID uh, at the beginning of August. It was really difficult and, and I'm really thankful for your prayers and just uh, your support of me and my family. Uh, praise God, not only have I recovered, but he was able to protect my, my wife and my children from catching it as well. So I'm extremely thankful for that. And uh, I just wanted to commend you for your prayers and, and ask you to continue to pray for those in our community that are, that are suffering and, 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 and need encouragement. Um, there's, a, there's a constant stream of truth claims that we are exposed to all the time in our culture. You know, whether it's by movies or music that we listen to, whether it's uh, billboards that we see or posters that we have hung up in our rooms or, or, or things that you might see when you walk into TJ Maxx, which I'll have up on the screen. Truth claims are everywhere, right? They're, they're all over the place. There's philosophies all over the place trying to get us to, to believe and live in accordance with those philosophies. And, and one day I walked into TJ Maxx and I saw this sign that said, follow your heart. It is the only compass that you need. Right, And as you, as you read a statement like this, you need to be able to, to, to understand, to know the truth, so that it would help you to spot the lie that might be in something like this. And this is, spot the lie is something that we do with our youth group regularly, like, you know, at least once every year. So we'll take a few weeks um, out, of our, out of our time, and the students will bring in these different statements that they've seen, and we'll talk about them. We'll say, is there some truth in this, because most good lies have at least a, a kernel of truth in them. And then where's the problem with this statement? And as we think about this statement up there, you think, is that true? You should follow your heart? Well, if they meant by that, that, you know, I used to have a dead heart, but now I have an alive heart made alive by Christ. And it's been informed by the Holy Spirit and, and instructed by the word of God. And then I should follow my heart in that sense. And maybe, but I don't, I don't think that's probably what they mean there. I think they mean that you should do what makes you happy. You should follow your heart, and, and that will make everything good. So we need to know the truth so we can spot the lie and be able to combat it, and we can fight against it. And we need to ask the question, are we equipped to be able to evaluate truth claims and to be able to answer them when we see that they're false or when they go against the truth? Specifically, can we spot lies and be able to fight against those things? Last week's passage ended with a description of the spiritual foes that we as Christians face as we seek to stand against the schemes of the devil. We have very real enemies who would like nothing more than to discourage or discredit us or to devour us. And though these enemies are real, our passage this morning speaks an exhortation with a promise. This command that we see in Ephesians 6, 13 and 14 is that we as Christians are to put on the full armor of God that has been provided for us. That's the command. And the promise is that we will be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. It is through the power of God, through his armor and his victory, 
that we are able to stand against all of our enemies. And so as we turn our attention to verses 13 and 14 of Ephesians 6, we're going to see that by putting on God's truth, we are able to both withstand the assault of the enemy and we're able to push back the darkness. As we put on this belt of truth, we're able to stand firm, to hold firm against all of the assaults of the enemy in a defensive way. But also, we're able to push back against that darkness with the light and the hope of the gospel. We're able to advance against the enemy's kingdom because we proclaim a message that brings life and hope. So there's a defensive idea in putting on the truth and an offensive idea in this. We can stand even when the assault is the most intense and we can push back because we have the light of Christ, brothers and sisters. So let's pray and ask the Lord to help us do this very thing this morning. So Father, I pray that as we, as we come to you and as we come to your word, that you would help us and that you would encourage us, Father. Lord, we need to know your truth. We need your strength. We need you to open our eyes so that we would be able to see and discern. Father, please encourage us, Lord, where we feel weak and where we feel hard-pressed against from the enemy. Lord, would you encourage us this morning from your word? Would you, would you help us to see the truth and to be able to stand firm against this attack? Father, I pray that you would give us hope, great hope as Christians, Lord, that we are, we have light. We, we are light in you, Lord, and that we can cast out the darkness as we proclaim the glories of your name. Would you give us great hope and great confidence this morning? Would you protect us and lead us Father, if there's places of sin and discouragement, even this morning that we're feeling, I pray that you would deliver us from those and help us to walk in faithfulness as we depend upon our Savior, Jesus, our Lord, the righteous one. Father, lead us now, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bibles open, please turn with me in, uh, to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to be reading from verses 10. Uh, through 14. Our passage is 13 and the beginning part of 14, but I'm going to read uh, from verse 10 just to give context for the passage. It says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And this is where our passage begins this morning. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. And so this morning, the first place we're going to begin is we're going to see that we're called to put on the belt of truth so that we would be able to withstand the assault of the enemy. And as you think about the, the different pieces of the armor of God, I'm just curious as you, as you think about them for a minute, maybe you know the different pieces there are. I wonder if you would have listed the belt of truth first in your list. Maybe you would have started with the breastplate of righteousness or the helmet of salvation or the sword of the Spirit. But Paul begins here and says we must put on the belt of truth. 
This picture that he's, that he's talking about, it comes from Isaiah 11, verse 5, which is a beautiful passage that points to the coming of the Messiah. And here Isaiah tells us in verse 5, he says, what a, he says, I'm sorry, righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. So the Messiah is going to wear a belt of righteousness and faithfulness around his waist. And the translation of the second word faithfulness there in the Greek translation of the Old Testament is the same word that Paul uses here in Ephesians 6, aletheia, meaning truth. So the Messiah wears around his waist a belt of righteousness and truth. And as you read any commentary on this passage, the commentators will be, uh, you know, they're always highlighting this reality that, you know, for soldiers in this day, they would have worn long robes. And so a belt was really important because you would gather up your garments and you would tuck them into the belt so that you would be ready for battle, so that you wouldn't trip over your garments and that you could go and fight. So a belt is really practical in getting ready for battle. But I don't think that that's why Paul starts with the belt of truth here, just because it's practical. I believe that Paul starts with the belt of truth because he knows the enemy that we face He knows that the primary tactic and scheme of the devil is to lie regularly and repeatedly. Revelation 12.9 tells us that Satan is the deceiver of the whole world. And in John 8.44, Jesus tells us of Satan. He says, he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies... He speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And so as Paul is thinking about the enemy that we face, I believe he begins with the belt of truth because he knows that lies are the primary tactic of our enemy. And this goes all the way back to the beginning. Satan's tactic all the way back in Genesis is to lie and to deceive, casting doubt on God's goodness and the truthfulness of his word. To Eve, Satan tempts her with a lie, asking, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree of the garden? He even twists there what God had said. And then he contradicts what the Lord commands by saying, you will not surely die if you eat of that tree. God knows when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So he twists the Lord's words here, what what God says. And he lies about God's character, namely who God is. And he says that he has a better way in which we should live. Satan lies about who God is. He lies about what God says. And he lies about what God says we should do. You see, we we see this tactic of lies also repeated when Jesus is tempted in the wilderness. The father at Jesus' baptism says one of the most remarkable and beautiful and awe-inspiring statements in all of the Bible. When Jesus is baptized, his voice booms from heaven. And he says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. God makes this declaration over his faithful son. And right after this, Jesus goes into the wilderness. And Satan confronts Jesus And he tries to get him to question this very declaration of the Father. He says two different times in Matthew, in in chapter 4, verse 3, and in chapter 4, verse 6, he says, If you are the Son of God, 
essentially prove it. Turn these stones into bread or cast yourself off this temple and allow the Lord to save you by his angels. He wants Jesus to doubt the Father's very word, that very declaration of who he is. And he wants Jesus to take up his own will and do his own will instead of follow the will of the Father. But with these temptations and many others, Jesus answers the truth with God's word. Over and over, Jesus meets the lies of the enemy with the truth. He wears this belt of truth about his waist, even on the cross, when he is stripped of all of his earthly garments. Jesus wears the belt of truth. Jesus clung to the truth of who he is, of who his father declared him to be, and the goodness of the father's plan to redeem mankind. It is the very truth of God himself that enables us. It's this truth that we put on that enables us to withstand in the evil day and to stand firm. We must put on the belt of truth so that we can withstand the attacks of the enemy. And I'm sure that you guys have been looking on the news this week, but you've seen uh, these two hurricanes that were converging together to hit in the Gulf. And as I was spending some time this week praying for, for those that were in the, you know, the path of these storms, I was also thinking about the palm trees that, that are present in the midst of these storms. And the picture came to mind of these category four or five winds where maybe you've seen these on TV where the winds are just battering these trees, these palm trees, and they're, and they're blowing in the wind. They're bending, but they don't break. You know, they're, they're anchored, they're tethered to something in the ground. They have a, a firm footing. And as strong as the winds blow, they are not knocked over. And this is the picture that comes to mind for us as, as we're thinking about what does it look like for us to stand against the, the attacks of the enemy. It's to be rooted and grounded in the truth. So that as hard as those, those you know, waves and winds come, we are not toppled over. And we know that the attacks of the enemy will come. Sometimes they're calm. You know, the, the winds blow mildly, but other times it's like a Category 5 hurricane beating down on us with tremendous ferocity. And Paul tells us we need to put on the whole armor of God to withstand in this evil day these attacks. Verse 13, this evil day is consistent with uh, Ephesians 5.16, which Paul tells us means really the time between Jesus' first and second coming. So we already we are in this evil day even now because Christ hasn't returned. We're to put on the armor and to stand in this day. And if you look in verse 13, it says, Therefore take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. The you there is not singular, but it's plural. And I think this is really helpful and interesting. He's not, he's not just saying that we need to individually, as people, put on truth so that we would be able to withstand. But corporately, we need to put on the truth so that we together would be able to stand as a church against the attacks of the enemy. Continually encouraging one another, proclaiming to one another the truth so that we could stand. So how do we know the truth? Well, Jesus tells us in his high priestly prayer in John 17... Verse 7, when he's, I'm sorry, John 17, verse 17, when he's praying for us, he's asking the Father to sanctify us in the truth, and he says, your word, Father, God's word, is truth. 
John 17, 17. We also know from John 14, 6 that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, we see all scriptures God breathed and is useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so the Father's word is truth, the Son is truth, and all of the scriptures are truth able to help us be equipped for every good work and to be able to stand against the attacks of the enemy. And so I want us to think for a few moments about ourselves personally for a minute. Where does the enemy try to attack us today? Where is it that we need to be prepared to stand firm? Where do we need truth to anchor us, to let us be bound to so that we would be able to withstand his attack? You see, part of it is we must be prepared to spot the lies and to be able to answer the enemy with the truth of God. If God's, it's God's truth that enables us to dig in our heels and to be able to withstand the buffeting and the winds of Satan's wrath. We must know the truth so that we can spot it and fight against it. But I want you to think about yourself for a moment. Do you, do you ever feel the enemy inflame you to believe that you are worthless? unlovable, or even unlikable. You know, where might this, these thoughts show up for you? Where does, where does fear keep you from enjoying your relationship with the Lord? You know, is it, is it because of things that you've done in the past that you might feel that way? Is it because you don't see fruit in your, in your work moving forward and so you feel like that's not helpful? Brothers and sisters, when, we, when we're facing this attack where the enemy says that you are worthless and unlovable. Let's turn to the scriptures, like Ephesians 1, 3 through 5. And remember that God has blessed us. If we are in Christ, he has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. It says, in love, he predestined us for adoption as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ. The enemy says that you are unloved and, and unworthy. And the gospel tells us that God has rescued us through his son. In, in love, he predestined us for adoption as sons and daughters of him. But maybe, maybe as you think about your own life, maybe it's something different. Maybe, maybe Satan tempts you to believe that God couldn't possibly forgive you for what you've done in the past. And it, he couldn't possibly love you because of all of those things that you have done. And you, maybe you feel plagued by shame because of the sins of your past. Continually reminded by the deceiver about those things. Brothers and sisters, we can turn to the truths of Ephesians 2, 4 through 10. And remember that even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, when we were enemies, when we were following the prince of the power of the air, verse 4 tells us, but God, being rich in his mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. 
He absorbed our sin and our shame on the cross. He is the one who covers us by his blood and makes us righteous. So when the enemy says that you are unclean or unworthy, we proclaim the blood of Christ over us to make us clean and holy. But I think, I think Satan also wants us to live as if we are defeated. That sin is inevitable for us. How often have you believed the lie that you cannot escape the sin that has so often entangled you? You continually go back to it and you feel like you cannot break free. The enemy maybe says it's impossible for you to do that. Or maybe he says it this way. He says, no, you continue in that, but you're the only one who struggles in that particular way. You're the only one who sins in this way. You, you creep. Maybe he says that. I don't know if he says creep, but I don't know. He might say other things. But you remember the truth from 1 Corinthians 10, 12 through 13. First and foremost, it says, therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. There's a warning there. If you think you're standing, be wise so that you're not tempted to fall. But he goes on, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. So all temptation is common to man. But God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure under it. Endure it. And so here's the reality. Through the power of the Holy Spirit working in us, as we apply the truth of God's word and as we pray in the midst of those temptations, we are able to endure and to escape and to flee to Christ and find freedom from those places of bondage and sin. We can turn to him and he is able to deliver and desires to do that. And there are other brothers and sisters who have walked similar paths to you in the past and who can help you as well. You're not alone in that. But also the enemy seeks to lie in this way. As we look around our country, we see lots of areas of division. We see heartbreak. We see pain. Are you tempted to believe the enemy's lie that the wounds and the deep divisions between people, whether they're different ethnicities or different skin color or even different job types with police and other people, have you bought into the lie that these, these divisions are too deep to be healed? Or that healing can come through some other means than by the gospel? Brothers and sisters, we, we remember the, the truths of Ephesians 2, 13 through 18, where, where Paul is talking about the, the miracle that God has united both Jews and Gentiles under the headship of Christ. Where he says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, thereby killing the, I'm sorry, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So we have this picture of these, these enemies for generations who are brought together and made one people because they have one faith, one Lord, one hope, one baptism. And it's in Christ that they're united. And we know that in heaven, around God's throne will be people from every tribe, tongue, 
and nation. People from every ethnicity will be gathered around his throne, gathered together with all of the saints as one people united under the headship of Christ, worshiping him forever. And so where we might be tempted to think that the divisions are too deep or too broad and cannot be breached, we know that the gospel is able to breach them because Christ is able to bring any to himself. But maybe, maybe you just find yourself in a place where the attack has just felt unrelenting, daily, crushing. It feels so heavy for so long that, that you feel, you hear the lie that it would be better for you to give up, to just stop. We remember in those moments, the truth from 1 John 4, 4, Where he says, little children, you are from God and have overcome them, meaning evil spirits. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Brothers and sisters, we have the one who is greater than any of our enemies. He loves us and leads us and is able to deliver us and to protect us. We need not fear, but we can trust and walk in his truth and be obedient, even in the midst of great trials and tribulations. Brothers and sisters, God's word and the gospel is so important to us because it really is truth and life for us. To put on God's word means that we must know it. We must meditate on it. We must think about it. We must remember it. We must hide God's word in our hearts so that we do not sin against him as Psalm 119.11 states. It is so important that we would see God clearly. And as we see and understand who he is and what he is like, you know, where we, we see things like his holiness and his righteousness and his perfection and his love and his justice and his mercy and his goodness and his faithfulness, as we see all of those things, we will then be able to properly evaluate ourselves. We need to put on the truth moment by moment because the battle is ongoing. And we constantly need to be encouraged, corrected, strengthened, rebuked and reminded of what is true so that we can withstand in the evil day. We need the word of God to be doing that in us and we need one another to be speaking those words to us. You see, the truth helps us to spot the lies of the enemy and it helps us to be able to withstand them in the evil day so that we would be able to overcome. And this is where we need each other. We remember that the command is not just individually for us to put on the armor of God, but it's corporate. We need one another to be able to stand against the lies of the enemy. We need each other to remind one another of the truth when we aren't seeing clearly. We need to be praying for one another as well in our daily struggle to remember and to obey the truth of the Lord. And we remember Ecclesiastes 4, 9 and 10. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. And at the very end of that section, it says a threefold cord is not easily broken. We need one another to be able to encourage each other, especially when we're not seeing the truth clearly. Brothers and sisters, we fight a war against an enemy who is continually trying to push us over and destroy us. And so therefore, we must wear the belt of truth to be able to withstand his attacks, to be able to withstand this uh, pressure that's put on us constantly. And the truth roots us and grounds us so that we are not uh, blown over, broken, destroyed. But see, 
the passage is not just talking about um, standing firm in the truth in a defensive way. But it also says that we are to put, push back on the darkness. We're to, we're to go and, and attack using the truth where the enemy is. It's not just defensive, but it's also offensive. Where we hold, we don't just hold the line for all eternity. Paul is encouraging us not just to withstand in the evil day, but to stand firm. To stand with the belt of truth encircled around our waist, enabling us to fight back against the enemy. And when the Bible talks about darkness, it doesn't primarily just mean some super scary evil being or, or physical darkness. It's usually pointing to the reality that there's a lack of truth in the world. This is, uh, this is the darkness a lot of times what it talks about. And between the time of, you know, the end of Malachi and, and the beginning of Matthew, there was 400 years of silence. And then in Matthew 4.16, we hear as Jesus has come, as he's been born, as he's beginning to do his ministry, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those who dwell, and for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. You see, our world today is full of darkness. Places where the truth isn't being expressed and, and, and embraced. You can look around us and see the messages of Hollywood, for example. There's tons of darkness there. But you can also look at the headlines in the newspaper from the past week. Where in Georgia, there was a, a human trafficking gang that was, that was captured. And 39 people were freed from that bondage to captivity. Where, where people were selling and using other people in so many different evil ways. But we see darkness in the streets. We see darkness in our schools. And we even see it in our homes. But you see, this is where the passage, I think, should excite us. For we know that the light of the world has come. John tells us in John 1, 4 and 5, speaking of Jesus, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Though we have an enemy who we battle fiercely, no matter how strong Satan seems, no matter how dark the darkness might feel, the darkness can never overcome the light of Christ and the truth of God. The light will always expose and cast out the darkness. And so because of Christ, we are able to fight back against our enemy and advance the kingdom of God on earth through the proclamation of the truth. So the, the gospel is our anchor. It's the thing that tethers us and helps us not be blown and, and tossed around. But it's also a message that brings life to the dead. Through the gospel, God opens the eyes of the blinded. He removes the bonds of those who are tied up. He opens the ears of those who can't hear. He closes those who are in tatters. He gives an inheritance to those who are far from him. Through the gospel, spiritual lepers are made clean. The outcast is given a family. Enemies are made brothers and sisters. Those who are far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And those who once had to stand at a distance from God are now miraculously indwelt by the Holy Spirit, God himself. This is the type of message and the weapon that we wield against our fierce enemy. It's not because of our might. It's not because of our power that the darkness is defeated. 
But it is through our obedience to proclaim what he has already done that we fight. He gives us the weapons. He gives us the ability. We are effective because he works through the Spirit to bring about life to those who are dead. And it is through God's truth that we are strengthened to stand and are equipped with a message that overcomes the enemy and all of his defenses. And so I want you to turn your Bibles to Matthew 16. Matthew 16, we're going to look at verses 15 through 18. Starting in verse 15, Jesus asked Peter and the disciples, he says, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replies, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And if you remember, if you were here a few years ago when Chris preached on this passage, Jesus is telling Peter that upon his profession as Jesus of Jesus as the Christ, it is on this profession that Jesus builds his church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. See, the gates of hell are defensive in measure. They're to keep enemies out. And Jesus says that the gates of hell will be ineffective in stopping the message of Christ from saving those who are in hell's grasp. Hell's gates are nothing against the proclamation of Jesus Christ as Lord. And so it's in this truth that we stand. We fight by knowing the truth. That when, you know, when Satan attacks us, we, we hold firm to the truth. But also we fight back and take ground for the kingdom by proclaiming the truth of the gospel to all around us. In this way, we stand firm as a church until Christ returns or calls us home. We can be confident that Christ Jesus is able to save both the religious and the rebel. And we can have hope that both the radical and the racist can be transformed by the truth of the gospel. Made, made one under his headship, covered by his blood. Sins redeemed by his sacrifice. That is why we must continually preach the gospel from our pulpits and in our homes and at the ball fields and, and at the lunch table and around the water cooler and across the fence and, and at our dinner tables. We must continue to preach the gospel because the gospel is both our anchor, it's the thing that holds us fast, but it's also the weapon that we use as we fight against the darkness. And so as you think about your own life, when you think about, like, what would it look like for me to take one step of obedience to, to bring light to places of darkness? And I don't just mean, like, running off to find the most lost person you could, I mean, even though that, that could be a, a response you take, but who has God given you access to now who seems receptive or at least curious to the message? Would you be willing to share that with them? You know, there are places where you can demonstrate the light and hope of Christ to those that don't know him and, and be willing to, to share why you do that way. I would encourage you to think about that. What, what, where are some places in my life that I have currently that I can, that can express light in places that are dark and give hope to those that are hurting, those that are seeking for answers, those that want to know where does true healing come from? 
we have a great answer for that. And I encourage you to, to take a step of obedience in doing that, to, to begin to push back against that darkness. So as we think about this passage, we think about this reality, we're put on the, the belt of truth so that we would be able to withstand in the fight against the enemy. We need to, if we evaluate ourselves honestly, we begin to see that there's a big problem that jumps out, out to us from this text. Namely, that we're not very good at putting on the belt of truth, always. And we fail at being lovers of the truth at times. You know, the temptation for us is to capitulate, to forget, or to deny the truth by our actions or by our words and by our attitudes. There's times when we live hypocritically, when we say you should do something and we don't do it ourselves, or, or we're consistent for a day but not for a week and not for a year. There's so many ways in which we, we fail at putting on the truth regularly. And I was thinking about my own life. And though I am proclaiming and actually believe in the truth of the gospel to push back the darkness, I genuinely believe that, I can still fight discouragement as I see cities burning, people hurting one another, and I can see people living in open rebellion to the word of the Lord. It can feel overwhelming at times to believe that true change could actually come and to pray with zeal and expectancy instead of just being discouraged. Brothers and sisters, there's grace for us, even in our weakness. Even though we are inconsistent or hypocritical in calling others to the standards that we do not uphold, even though we don't always put on the truth or even remember it, the great news is that Jesus Christ has already worn this armor for us. It was his armor, as we read in Isaiah 11:5. See, Jesus withstood every test that was put against him from the enemy. He was able to withstand Satan's lies in the wilderness and to combat them every time with the truth of God. Even at the cross, he was able to withstand the mocking voice of his enemies to come down from the cross and to prove that he was the Messiah. And instead, he chose to obey and trust his Father, that he would win salvation for all who trust in him by staying on the cross. See, the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus is the proof that he has defeated Satan. He has dealt the mortal blow to his enemies and to our enemy. The victory is already won, and we live in light of this victory, his victory on our behalf, brothers and sisters. And this is good news. The victory is won because of Christ, because of his sacrifice, because of his work, because of his victory. And though we do not fight or withstand perfectly, we trust in the completed work of Jesus to give us endurance and to make us effective. And we know that we have the Holy Spirit who empowers us to be faithful in this ongoing battle. And so our faithfulness does not rest upon our own perfection, but it rests on Jesus' perfection. Our victory doesn't rest on our ability to know and obey the truth but it rests in Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life for all who trust in him. And because, brothers and sisters, we are in Christ, we are free, free to fight, and free to withstand the enemy because he is with us and he guarantees our ability to persevere. And so we are welcomed and encouraged and called to come, to put on the truth, 
so that we would be able to withstand whatever the enemy might fling at us and that we would be able to push back the darkness because we are in Christ, the light of the world, the one who has redeemed us and saved us. And so, brothers and sisters, let us trust in him as we seek to know and love the truth so that we would be effective and persevere to the end. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth. Lord, please help us to believe the truth and live in light of the truth and share the truth, God, with those who who need to know you, God, with those who have no hope, with those that are discouraged, with our brothers and sisters that just feel defeated. Lord, please let us be a people who love and proclaim and share the truth. Let us be a people who walk alongside one another, especially as the church, Lord, that we would be able to withstand the attacks of the enemy and be able to push back against it. But please help us as a church. Help us to love you and respond now in faith. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.